My guest today on Tales from the Jazz Side is guitarist, composer, teacher, Jay Azalina. Hey, Jay. Hi. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Yes, thank you for coming to my house. It's beautiful house. It's exciting. Hastings on the Hudson. Should yeah. I be saying that to people or not? Uh, sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you and I met back in 93. Uh, that was my first time on tour with Michael on the Dragonfly Summer Tour. Right. Now, were you... Uh, was that the first time you were playing with Michael, or were you on the show before that? I mean, doing a tour before that. Jeez, boy. <laughs> this is tough, man. This is tough. Let me get my date book out from 1992. Um, I think that was probably the first. Maybe there was something before that, but that... No, I think that was it, Dragonfly. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, that was the first one from that. Um, now, how did you get that gig? Do you remember? You know, I think we were both at the same audition yeah. on that day. We were. So it was in the city somewhere. I can't remember I where. On 11th, 11th Avenue. Um, That's when I first it. met you. Yes. yes. So we, we, we had to audition. I don't know if people audition for gigs anymore. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, apparently, according to Charles, last he was on our last month's episode. He said that I was kind of pretty much picked out by that time, but... They just had me there for some reason. I don't know why they had me there. Oh, uh, uh, well, Charles recommended me for the audition. Okay. So that that was the connection. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And do you remember that when uh, uh, Sonny Abelardo was passing out the booklets and he was saying, "Okay, cats, the first gig is going to be in Aruba," and I looked over at you and I said, "What's going on?" And you said, "Oh, you're on the Michael Frank's tour." <laughs> do you remember that? No. No, you don't. Of course, because you have to get your date book out just to remember. Are you kidding? I mean, somebody came up to me recently and asked me something from that period from the 90s. And I just looked like, what? I don't remember that gig. Or I don't remember that. Or I don't ever remember being in that city. I just, it's its bizarre. Yeah, well, I saw a memory. You, you know I had a crush on you back then, didn't you? Did you know that? Yeah, I just had like a little crush on you. Like, I was like, oh, the little redheaded kid. I just, the guitar player, he's just so cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, okay. All right, well, now you know. Yeah. Um, this is... <laughs> Thank God we're doing this interview. Okay, so anyway, you started, according to your biography, you started on trumpet and piano, and then you moved to guitar, right? And that your father owned a music store. Right. Now, how did that, were you just like running around in your father's uh, shop? Kind uh, of. Playing different things? He, I started on trumpet probably at seven, six or seven. Oh. My dad was a trumpet player. Okay. And, and, you know, and he had this business and he, he had a pretty big store. And, you know, this was in the 60s and 70s and everybody was buying guitars and drums okay. i mean it was just thriving mm -hmm. it, so i would go down there after school and work and then i started teaching uh well i was taking lessons from guitar teachers in the store okay um and then it was great because every guitar that was popular he would sell and he would say, eh, what, do you, what do you think of that guitar? And I'd say, well, I'd like to take it home and try it. He'd say, go ahead. So every, you know, I got to take home everything. Okay. So, um, and I can't tell you how many guitars I took and never returned <laughs> and ended up selling. Oh, really? 
Oh, yeah. You know, I'm one of those guys that, you know, sell something to buy something else. Wow. So do, it's do very... Do you remember what you were bought when you would sell those? Or just other guitars? Other or... guitars. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's I regret it because there's so many guitars that I wish I had that I hadn't let go. Oh, and they were like old, kind of classic, old classic ones? Yeah. yeah. Well, they, they weren't old at that point in time. But right. if I had kept them, you know, they would have been worth a fortune. But still, there were a couple of guitars that, you know, played great, sounded great. But for whatever reason, I thought, well, I should check this out and get this guitar. And I wouldn't keep what I had. I Like I said, I would sell it because... You know, when I was in college and stuff, I wasn't making that much money working, and you know, I had to sell to buy. Right, right. Well, so. did your father know you kept a lot of those? Things? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, he was cool with he that. Was cool he with was it. very generous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, now you play with lots of singers, and uh, like in addition to playing with Michael, you've and this is in your bio. Right. You be correct us if we're wrong. Uh, Donna Summers, yeah. Carly Simon, Ricky Lee Jones. Manhattan Transfers, right? Right. And, right. of course, the amazing Sheila Jordan. Yes. Right? Now, uh, I think we started this conversation a little bit upstairs, but not a lot of musicians like playing with singers. And do you have any kind of insight as to why that might be, besides the singers' jokes, those, those jokes? Well, that... um, well, because you are accompanying them. Pretty, I mean, that's the gig. Okay. And um, it's not that, I mean, I enjoy working with singers for that reason, to really hone in on the best way to accompany, to to make them sound good, mm -hmm. to be creative, but not too creative. So it throws them off yeah. and that can happen, especially with jazz musicians. I mean, you have a lot of knowledge about harmony and you know, if if you go too crazy substituting chords and stuff, it it's pro it can be inappropriate and bothersome to the singer. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of a fine line to you know, like I said, be creative and yet not step over the line. Right, right. right. So, um, and every singer is different too. I mean, I worked with a famous singer, and we were recording. It was actually a, a a TV show. Okay. And um, she just stopped. I, we, we were rehearsing before the recording. She just stopped and she looked at me and she said, it's all about me. Oh, really? That was it. Really? Yeah, I can't tell you who it was. But That's okay. You'll come out in the book. <laughs> so that, that, of course, that became a title of a song for, for my next record. Really? really? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's all about me. Actually, there's, there's, it's all about me and it's all about you. Okay. That was the other song that I wrote. Okay. So, like <laughs> so a that's, mirror. That's what that was really about. That was kind of the driving thing under that. Oh, yeah. And it really stunned me. You know, it, and I didn't think I was stepping over the line, right. but I guess I was. Right. So it depends on the singer, too. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's very Like someone like Sheila Jordan loves that for yes. you to, you know, just go off and, you know, stay within, you know, the solar system, but you can still take a lot of liberties. Yeah. But other singers, it's not cool. It's more, you have to be more where they can recognize where they are in a song, perhaps. Yeah. 
And, and like she said, it's all about me. Don't shine too much. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, I know people have asked me, and that's actually an interesting point you make because a lot of people have asked me, um, you know, when are you going to record with a guitarist? Because I've, I've not done that yet. I've played with guitarists, but not really. And, um, and you know, I, I love guitar players, you know, but they're more older school cats like Wes Montgomery and, and um, Charlie Christian, Grant Green, Django, right? You know, uh, Joe Pass. I mean, his stuff with Ella is mm. amazing. Uh, Paco de Lucia. But I think that when jazz expanded and it went into jazz fusion, moved into jazz, I kind of got disconnected from guitarists. And I think a lot of that, at, when you were talking earlier, is because I felt it was really um, become, it became less of a collaboration uh, Co cooperative effort and more of you know who is shining or whatever but um but anyway when we were out playing with michael and you would do uh you know your time would come for your solos and everything and i'd be standing on the side and one of the things that really uh was amazing to me was that you presented the guitar uh in your solos to me in a way that helped me understand, you know, the, the potential of the sound of the guitar and what, you know, what you could actually create out of it. And, and, but it was more like, um, an honest movement, you know, toward this truth and this expression. And it was a passion there. And it really helped me see that it isn't really the, the, get the instrument per se, but it's actually the person playing the instrument, you know, and, and how their desire to move toward this truth and purity, uh, that's what's really reflected. And oddly enough, that altered the way I perceived fusion jazz guitar from the original, just because your solos were so, and still are, unique and oh. very... It's just so sensitive. I, I just have always loved your playing, and oh. I and I won't go on and on and on and embarrass you because I promise people that I don't do that. But plus, I, you had a crush on me, and I had a crush wow. on you on top of it. So Can it was you just imagine? like, oh my god! It was like, oh my god! He's playing a song, you know. Um, <laughs> and so it really did, and I think the the crush helped me really move past that to let go of some of the uh, restricted views that I had about what was possible. Um, well, I, I think, I mean, what you're saying about the honesty, I, I think that's what every musician strives towards. I mean, I, I can't, a lot of musicians, look at, there's so many different approaches to playing music. Um, you know, some people focus on technique, some people focus on, uh, I want to sound like this person mm -hmm. exclusively. Some people uh, focus on some inner um, recognition of what what they're trying to uh, present. Uh, it's you know it's more um, you know getting in touch with yourself. I, so I think all musicians are different, mm -hmm. and then there are combinations of all those things. Okay. So. Um, you know, I mean, the musicians that I listen to and I like are the ones that are really telling a story in their own way, not the way someone else told it. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to do. Yes. Because so much has been 
covered since jazz began, since Louis Armstrong, really. Mm -hmm. You know, so much has been expressed, and in a way, it's a regurgitation. I mean, it's very hard to come up with an original way of playing, an original way of phrasing, but I think that's what, you know, that's the essence of it for me anyway, and I think for a lot of musicians. And um, so... I don't know. I kind of lost track well, of where no, I was well, going. <laughs> well, what I wanted to add, you were talking about, um, you know, did do you think that having played the trumpet influenced the way you phrase in playing the Absolutely. guitar? Absolutely. Because Absolutely. it is very different than like, well, traditionally sometimes people will listen to another guitarist and then they just kind of phrase along that line, but... Um... It, it has, I'm sure, but I don't know how. Okay. I have no idea how but I'm sure it has an influence and I'm sure listening you know for everyone when you're first exposed to music that first um, experience of being really moved by something that has a profound impact on you yeah like yeah. the very first time yeah you know and I can remember those experiences um you know, I I can remember my father taking me on gigs. You know, okay. when I was you know, just learning guitar and and uh, and totally learning songs by ear. Okay. You know, he, he there were no charts or anything. Mm -hmm. He would he would play like club dates. We used to call yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Or they're still called club dates or casuals <laughs> in Connecticut. And uh, you know, he'd say, "Just listen, mm -hmm. see if you can pick up the tune," and that's what I did wow so you know he'd play Gershwin tunes or whatever he was playing and I had no idea I just used my ear to try to figure out what the harmony was and stuff and yeah. then just play by ear wow. so it wasn't until <laughs> later that I started really reading okay and 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 you know getting into it from that point of view but initially yeah it was all playing by ear and like I said you know those first experiences are really you know, have an impact. Oh, absolutely. It, they just, that's when um, the emotional thing connects to the experience. Uh, and you, it, it's kind of, it's marked, it marks into you, into your whole being. Yeah. And so every, it, it's like the uh, having a lens, a, a colored lens. And so everything you see now is colored by that experience. Right. Or whatever you perceive or, you know, right. a place right. is always kind of. And, you know, being exposed to different things at the, at an early age, um, like I can remember going to see the Rolling Stones yeah. in high school. Oh, wow. And that, that was an experience that was had a real impact. And I remember it was an outdoor concert, and I was in the very front row. Wow. Because actually my father sold tickets. Oh, I was going to And he sold, he sold a ton of tickets, so they, we had, you know, they gave him seats, oh. the promoter. And, you know, that was an experience, and, yeah, I, I think it had an impact on me seeing that, hearing that kind of music and seeing it, but also maybe a year or two later when I was still in high school, I went to see Miles Davis. Oh. Now, that had a really deep, profound experience on me, okay. which kind of... I think pointed the needle in the direction of jazz. Okay. You know, okay. I dug seeing the Stones yeah. and I liked that music and I played that music mm -hmm. as a kid. But when I saw Miles, I was like in awe. Yeah. 
the whole thing just blew my mind and I didn't understand it at that point in time. I just walked out of there with my buddy and I said, man, I don't understand that music. <laughs> I don't know what the hell they were doing, but I loved it. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. I, want, I want to learn it. I yeah. want to study it. Yeah. And that's, that, I think that experience, I think I was, I was driving, I remember driving to Smith College. It was at Smith College okay. up in Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah. And so I was probably a junior, Okay. you know, because we, we drove up there and, uh, and I remember I was sitting right next to the sound guy. This, the guy was, you know, up in the balcony, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's sitting right next to him. And I'll never forget, I saw the promoter come over to give the sound guy the check for the gig. Oh, Miles' wow. check. Yeah. And oh. I kind of looked at it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then you said, I don't know if I want to be a jazz musician. Yeah. No, it was surprisingly no, no, low. No. Yeah. Hello. Yeah. I, I <laughs> That's was, what I'm saying. You should have immediately like, said, let me get into it the was, Rolling Stones. It was five grand. What? what, what the, around what year was that, though? This was in the 70s, early 70s. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's not a lot. Or late 60s. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was Jack DeJeanette and I think Dave Holland, Keith Jarrett. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And it was, uh, it wasn't the fusion thing. I, it, I forget what stuff they played. But I, all, what I really remember was they took a break. Okay. And Keith picked up a tambourine. He was playing tambourine in the the tune before the break. Okay. So they Miles ended it and he kept playing. Oh. The tambourine. Okay. And everybody walked Just off stage and he played tambourine a tambourine solo for 15 minutes really? by himself. And then finally somebody <laughs> came and said we're on a break. <laughs> and I said, "Wow, this is this is insane." <laughs> Wow! Yeah, it well, was great. It was, it was musical too. It was kind of. It was a, amazing. Yeah. Wow! It was amazing. No one's ever told me that this cat played tambourine. No yeah. one's ever said that. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah, Keith. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of all these great musicians, uh, you know, Mike Michael Ur Urbaniak. 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 I could never pronounce his name. Uh, Herbert Herbie Mann, jo yeah. Jocko Pistorius, Kenny Werner. Warner, Warner, yeah. Rob McClure, yeah. Um, all these different types of, you know, different range of musicians and their approach. And of course, you were known. A lot of people know you from your Spira Gyra days right. uh, with the jazz fusion guitar, right. Right? right? Now you moved through all these different phases. I think uh, at one point they were talking about acoustic jazz with John Patitucci. So how did that progression come about? Was it based on this, this type of uh, your experience with that Miles Davis, or was it? way after that or that you kind of moved more from fusion to more acoustic hmm. I well hmm. yeah I, I I think the older I got the more I started exploring more traditional jazz okay you know I didn't really start listening to Wes Montgomery till I was much older you oh, know oh interesting so uh, and and you know, Grant Green, right, Wes Montgomery, right. Joe Pass, Kenny Burrell. Yeah. Kenny. Um, you know, when I was in college, I was listening to Mahavishnu. 
oh, you know, yeah. McLaughlin yeah. and and yeah. Tony Williams Lifetime and 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 Bitches Brew and stuff mm. like that. Okay. Not so much traditional jazz. So um, yeah, it didn't happen till later. It didn't happen till later. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's like the reverse for me. Right. Yeah, you know, because I started with that, and then you know, now I'm on. Okay, so now, um, in recording your own CDs, okay, mm, of mm-hmm. original compositions, uh, do you write thematically? Like, you know, say I, you know, I have a concept, and I'm focusing on guitar and bass, or I want this around, uh, you know, like a, a suite of songs, mm. or are they just random over a period of time that you put them together? Because you mentioned earlier being inspired <laughs> by the singer telling you that it's all about me, and then you did the mirror song. Right. I I, I guess my motivation is uh, if there's a deadline, like oh. if, let's say, for instance, I just did a record um, about a, in January, um, and I knew I had to write. Okay. You know, I knew I had to write. It's a collaboration. It's everybody wrote three tunes, two or three tunes. Okay. And so I knew I had to, you know, produce something. So I'll just sit down and um, whatever comes. So, I mean, I have a, a routine um, that basically I need a melody of mm-hmm. one or two bars and then that's it. Okay. You know. Or a bass line. Okay. Like this one tune came out of a bass line with no melody. But it had this bass line that's like a 16, eight bar bass line that okay. repeats in, in one section. And then it goes to a totally different place. So I, I just need one or two bars of something to like, you know, kick it off. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I don't think long term, like I want this tune to, you know, be 32 bars and have this section and this, you know, it's really, you know, it starts with a little germ and then that germ expands. Okay. okay. Yeah. And yeah. I try to use, you know, that information from those two bars over and over, you mm-hmm. know, kind of manipulate it around. And, and it's interesting because after it's done to go back and look at it, mm-hmm. you see, Wow, like unconsciously I did this, right, right. this happened mm-hmm. and that happened. And that's what's really fun about oh, writing. Okay. You know, kind of like analyzing it after the fact yes. rather than analyze it during it. Yeah, which is, I think it makes the difference between how organic it is. You know, like I was talking to Travis the other day about uh, musicians. You can like learn your instrument inside and out. You can perfect that instrument, know everything about Uh, every note and how to play every note but if you don't like let it go if you don't at the moment be in the moment and then just release all that that that's there it loses its freshness because you can hear the patterns you know when people are focused on the patterns of things Mm. uh and and sometimes when like uh, some of the greatest recordings were just right then and there you know, cats went in and they just threw it down and that was it. And then there are some recordings that, of course, are done over and over and right. people go back. And and for me, I, I always can sense and feel that when I'm listening to mm-hmm. uh, that kind of, you know, it's it's they're trying to get something right as opposed to right. just having this this organic, this total flow of, okay, this is it. 
this is what I'm saying, and right. it's a done deal. Right, and it's, sometimes that's hard because there'll be imperfections in that. Yes, you know. Yes, and nowadays it's so easy to fix things. Oh, please. So um, <laughs> it's sometimes hard to let go of that. But sometimes you have to fix things. I mean, you just can't let them go. Really? Now, do you, you have to? Do you got? Do you play with everybody live and then do the one recording, or do you come back in and do? Pieces? Well, it's interesting. Yeah, we did two days um, live, and um, with isolation, mm-hmm. so that things could be fixed. I mean, that's generally how things yeah, are done. Yeah. You know. Um, and like I said, you try not to like go in and redo things unless you have to. If you're playing a melody with a sax player and you hit a note, yeah, that's, well, you, you, you gotta, have to fix you it. Pl- you know, yeah, punch that in. But um, but fixing every little mistake in a solo is you know that's probably not the best <laughs> right way to, to no. go about recording. Yeah. Uh, now, do you? Um, uh, who, how do you? Uh, what was the process that you used to choose? who you're going to have on your CDs, like who you want to work with. Are they, do they vary based on the project or the, yeah, the feel? Yeah, of- yeah, it's like, for instance, this this latest recording, um, I didn't know two of the guys in the band at all, but um, I've been playing with Adam Nussbaum for right. years and years. Yeah, yeah. And he... He was in Europe. I think he was in Italy. And he said, man, I worked with this bass player from Rhode Island that sounds incredible. And he's got this sax player he uses. Uh, you know, we, we should try to do something. And I said, fine. Mm-hmm. Because I'm up in Rhode Island a lot anyway yeah, because yeah. we have a house up there. And um, so I forget who booked this gig, but uh, this gig was booked for this quartet and we had never played at this place called The Spot in Providence, which is pretty much a rock club, but occasionally they have other stuff. Okay. So we did the gig, and I had written some of this new stuff, and everybody wrote. So we were doing the gig and reading. I mean, it was like one of those oh. kind of gigs. <laughs> kind of, you know, really. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, what are we doing here kind of thing? But there was a guy in the audience who's, owns this record company mm-hmm. and after the gig he said i want to record you guys wow so it was it was crazy you know um i mean that happens but i haven't heard of that happening a long oh, time in a it, long time you know yeah. So like you know i want to record you i'm going to pay for it blah 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 so that's what happens oh, wow and yeah. this, is, this is okay all the cats are going to run up to providence now and yeah i'm not i'm not saying anything <laughs> don't say else. the name of the club now uh that was that that's not uh that's a new one a new project you're working yeah on it's now. not going to be out until probably august or september okay but you finished uh local dialect yes that's getting like re- amazing reviews just really gr- yeah well, it's but, old uh, yeah but still you know i was looking online around it and um that was a kind of a culmination of all of your experience of well that of was a cathartic that was my wife had just passed and um i was down here in this basement like eight nine hours at a stretch yeah okay. that's all i did was come down here and write okay you know it was it was like being in a black hole i i just 
remember time didn't have any value you know it's I could be down here for seven hours and it felt like 20 minutes mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. it so that's how that came about and at the time I was just writing everything on the computer I wasn't using a pencil and paper and you know I was into doing that learning how to you know manipulate things through the computer and write and so that's how that whole thing came about but that that was you talk about eclectic I mean there's so many different types of music on that I mean it's all my music but in terms of feels and grooves yeah, and great. Uh, it's all over the place and maybe it works and maybe it doesn't work but it did matter that's what I wanted to do at that point in time yeah and, you know? and how did you get the name local dialect I don't know it just came to me yeah. yeah it's a great name it really is very because it is um, all the different ways one can communicate uh, and tell your story or tell how you feel, you know, and it's local because it's you. Yeah. You know? So yeah. it really is, uh, it's, a, it's a great title. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're talking about basements, right? Yeah. And we are in a basement right yeah. now. So we don't have to walk down into the basement with me. But since we're already here, are you ready to stay with me here in the basement? Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, these are the three questions I always ask uh, uh, musicians uh, for the show because the show is you know around things that are scary right okay so now first question mm -hmm. uh, what is the scariest subject in any medium this can be a painting a photograph a book movie tv show radio broadcast dreams uh, real life, something outside of music. Uh, people like we're afraid of Ebola, and other people are, you know, mm. and uh, just any type of uh, what is the scariest subject uh, that you've encountered that kind of scares you? Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind it's a total current event. Current event, you know, the German airline that went down. Oh yeah, with the yeah. Yeah. actions of the co-pilot. I mean that is the most horrific thing. I mean, yes, there are other things that could happen, but in terms of what has just recently happened, people are taking a flight, basically a commuter flight. It was an hour and a half flight or two hours, and this guy from out of the blue right. just takes the plane down. Wow. Yeah, that's it's, right. It's just um, it's hard to comprehend. Yeah. And you fly a lot. You know, I used to. I okay. haven't been flying that much lately. Okay. But, um, yeah, I mean, you think about your own you know, experience flying, and then you have tons of friends that fly yes, a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah, I so, fly a lot, so, you know, yeah. Um, that, that was, that's pretty scary. Yeah, okay, all right. Uh, so now the second one is um, tell us about someone you have worked with who was a little frightening to you, but in a good way. Do I have to mention the name? We, you don't You don't have to. You can, you know. It, but it's a good way, so it's not like it's a bad thing. You know, you're not really you know, saying anything bad about them. Repeat that question. Okay. <laughs> For $200, <Yes>. <laughs> tell us about someone you have worked with who was a little frightening to you, but in a good way. Hmm. 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 Boy. This is why I send the sheets out. <laughs> 
Well, you know, I, I guess, you, you know, you know, (laughs) when you work with someone that you really revere, Mm -hmm. um, and it, you know, it doesn't happen that often. I mean, most of the gigs that I do are with people that I've played with a lot, but you know, you do get a call from blah, blah, blah. Could you, could you do this or... So, you know, I've had experiences where I've played with some of my idols. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. and um, the people that that I look up to, that, you know, I put up there on the pedestal, they all have an intensity about them. Yes. yes when true. they're on the bandstand. Even sometimes when they're off the bandstand. But I find that that varies. Okay. Um, so when you're on the bandstand, you, you sense that intensity and it can be frightening, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have to learn how to deal with that, um, so that it doesn't overtake you, overwhelm you. Okay. So that it affects what you're going to do, you know? Mm -hmm. You don't want that to happen. Right, right. So how do you do that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to forget about it. Okay. You you acknowledge it, you see it, you perceive it, but then you have you have to let go of it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you'll be handcuffed up there. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you're trying to play and you're have an element of fear, mm-hmm. the 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 uh, creative highway closes down. Yeah. You know, it yeah. just shuts down. It goes to one lane. Mm-hmm. Because then it becomes more of a physical thing because you you, know, you may tense up or whatever. So just the physicality of playing changes if you're tensing, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's terrible. Wow. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you just somehow have to forget about it and and deflect it yeah and were you able to do that well that's debatable you know <laughs> you know um it, it's debatable well <laughs> it's hard it's hard to be subjective when you're in a situation oh you know yeah. like a high stakes situation yeah. You know, you're playing with Mike Brecker. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you know, and the guys like somebody like that is 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 um it's great. Yeah. It's great. And that's the other thing you have to realize that if you're in that situation, you even though it's uh there's a lot going on, you're processing and you may be afraid and you you sense this intensity the beauty of the experience mm-hmm. has to, you know, tr- trump yeah. all the fear. Yeah. You have to say, oh, man, this is incredible. Listen to what this guy is putting down, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, you know, you want to participate mm-hmm. in the best way that you can while that's going on. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And sometimes you're successful and sometimes you're not. Yeah. So, what, you know, what are you going to do? Right. That's actually great. a great answer. Um Okay, so is our last one. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the scariest thing that has ever happened to you while performing live? Okay, would recording qualify? 
um, you could you could actually include in a recording, but it's also I, I thought about this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, the thing that freaked the me recording out recording is the great most... and live too. If you have one on that. Too. Okay. Well, the recording. There's a luthier guitar builder, Ken Parker, okay. who I was working with for a while. This was uh, probably about eight years ago. And he makes art. He makes tons of different guitars, I mean, rock guitars, and but he makes an archtop jazz guitar too. And he had just finished designing this guitar, and it, I think it takes him at least six to eight months just to build one. Wow! And wow. and uh, they're very expensive. At that point in time, they were like thirty thirty grand. And they're called arch tops. It, it, arch top is a style of of jazz guitar. It's it's hollow inside. Okay. It's the tradition, oh, like a West oh, Montgomery. Oh, okay, yeah, that yeah. would be an okay. arch top. You okay. know. But he he totally changed the design. It was very unique. I can't even begin to describe the way he built it, but it was really unusual unusual and very delicate okay <laughs> so he lent it to me to do this recording he lent it to me you know i went up there and i said oh man i'll be really careful with it man this you know um, all the time i got thirty thousand in the back of my head man i gotta be really careful with this you know you sure that case is good you know I don't want, yeah exactly so i i i take it out mics are all set up and i'm playing and I remember it was in the middle of the summer. It was super humid, like a long stretch stretch of humidity. Mm-hmm. It was terrible. So I'm playing and playing, and and I'm playing kind of hard. And I'm thinking, you know, you better not play too hard. This thing is pretty delicate. <laughs> 30,000, right? 30,000. Right? <laughs> so all of a sudden, I'm playing, and I hear this, bang. <laughs> I, I couldn't even tell you the sound. It It was just... The, the crazy sound, like all the strings just popped kind of sound. And I looked down, and the bridge had broken, and the seam of the guitar came out. In other words, the glue yeah. just separated, and the whole top of the guitar came off. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> It was terrible, man. Oh, what yeah. did you do? What I just looked do? at it. I, I remember just looking at it for at least five minutes, like with my mouth open and like really, but I had a panic attack. You know, I was like, what the hell? I had a panic attack. So, so after I finally composed myself, I got on the phone and I called him. <laughs> and I told him what happened. Dead silence on the oh, other end. My you know, God. for for about ten seconds. Right, right. And he said, "Eh, don't worry about it." You know, he's a nice guy. Oh, okay, nice, okay, nice okay, yeah. So uh, I brought it back, and he had to glue it up. Yeah, what you did know? you did it you was, use something else? Inst- you had to use something else instead. Was this recording? Was this was a recording, right? You were recording with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So you had to pull like. Well, a- no, I I think it ended after that. You know, you know, I just yes. said, we're oh, done. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of ends. <laughs> so, um, but I remember bringing it back to him, and he was cool. He just, he, it was fixable. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, you know, with the glue coming, it wasn't like you snapped the neck of it or, no, you know, or, no. 
No, I yeah. think it, it. I don't know what he did, but and I, it was already sold. That's the other oh, thing. So yes. he was he was lending it to, to me to do some recording. That actually, and then, someone else had brought already. Yeah, yeah. He was going to ship it off <laughs> oh, to some gazillionaire somewhere. Oh, I think. Yeah. Oh, wow, that's great. Because jazz musicians can't afford that. No way. Yeah. No, but they want to play on it, though. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's true. So that, that was kind of freakish. Yeah. And so did you have an experience where you were actually, like, on stage, and you are, you know, something happened, and it just freaked you out, and there wasn't anything you could do about it because you were right there, live, yeah, in front of yeah. a bunch of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this does. I mean, this happens probably frequently, <laughs> often right. with people. But it was um, what comes to mind. I was doing a gig uh, with a really great band. You know, I was really fortunate. Uh, it was John Patitucci's band, and Billy Hart was playing drums. Oh yeah. And Jar- George Garzon oh, was playing. Yeah. This I think we were down in uh, Blues Alley. Okay. Okay. In DC, yeah. and it, it was a new band, and I think it was this was a while ago in the '90s, and it was pretty new music. <clears throat> and you know, George is playing tenor, so he's for the most part playing the melodies, yeah, you know, yeah. all all the tunes. So right. it's all original mm-hmm. stuff and complicated stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're at the gig, and there's no George, right? Okay. John's on the phone. George, where are you, man? So he finally we gets a hold of George. Minutes. He said, "I thought the gig started tomorrow." Oh. So he's up in Boston. Oh wow! So it was all right. Now it's trio. Yeah. And you got to play you. the heads, right? Right. Guitar, Mr. That's... Guitar Man. This right. <laughs> Having not really scoped them out yeah. because yeah. you know that wasn't what I was doing. Right. So that was kind of scary. Yeah, that yeah. I that definitely is. It's like a, we always talking about. I was talking about that dream where um, <clears throat> I, you know, I work on this music and I I learn all the songs, all the lyrics, all the and it's kind of complicated music, and I learn all of it, and then right before I go on stage, this is my time, my chance to shine in front of hundreds of thousands of people. It's my gig. I'm you know, the headliner, all of it. And somebody comes up to me with all this new music and stuff and gives it to me and say, oh, look, all the songs are brand new. This is different. This is all new lyrics. That's the dream. That's a horrible dream I have. And th- those are the kind of feelings you get when you think about, um, you know, what could possibly be the worst thing. So now, um, if you had uh, in in telling young people or young musicians or people starting out as artists and playing jazz or any kind of music, if you could uh, give them some advice about um, just the industry itself, or you could share something with them, do you have anything you want to? Well, because you've been doing this a long time, and yeah, you, you, you know, know, I mean that uh, that makes me think of. Um, uh, you know, when you go into the city to certain clubs and hearing all these young players, mm-hmm. um, there used to be a place in Astoria called Blackbirds that would have jazz. Uh, it was like an open jam on yeah, Sundays. Yeah. And uh, a couple of friends of mine would play there. So I'd go down there and I would play, but it really gave me a chance to hear in the, hear all these young people, mm-hmm. you know, guitar players, sax players, trumpet players, and, you know, 
Astoria, you know, is so concentrated with musicians. So, um, you know, and there are, you know, Smalls has the jam session and stuff, but I don't go to that. It's too late, you know, so I don't <laughs> I don't get to hear a right. lot of young cats. But that was a place where I heard so many people that really play great, yeah. these guys. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just wondering... How do you survive in yeah. today's world? Yeah, yeah. You know, when I first moved to New York in the early 80s, there was so much work. Yeah. You know, there was still recording work. Mm -hmm. There was club dates, yeah. you know. Yeah. There was, if you wanted to do that. And I, that's what I did, you know, because I had to... You know, I had to make some money, so I played, you know, weddings and bar mitzvahs and stuff. And But, you know, I remember doing five gigs a weekend yeah. and making some really good money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But there's not a lot of that. There's not much recording. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, what do these guys do? They're not, I don't think they're focused on that. I think they're so focused on learning music and learning how to play their instrument. Okay. And that's all you can do. Okay. And and I mean if it's in your blood, you have to do it and you have to put in you know as much effort as you can to get as good as you can get and mm -hmm. hope for the best. Okay. okay. So yeah, it's I think it's tougher now. I think, you know, it's harder to survive, it's harder to pay the rent uh because there's less opportunity and but that doesn't matter. I mean, if it's something you have to do, you have to do it. Yeah. And yeah. you just have to, you know, make the best attempt, you know, stab at it and and see what happens. And then and then switch gears if you have to. Right. If it doesn't, right. you know, or leave New York. I mean, New York, like like I said, you know, everybody is here. Everybody comes here. You don't have to stay here to play jazz. You can go back to Cleveland or back, you know, and yeah. see what you can muster up there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you have to do it um, and and hope for the best and, and be positive about it. Yeah. yeah. And it's hard because you have to really have a lot of confidence in yourself and faith in yourself. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's difficult, you know, to maintain that. Yeah. Yeah, you know? that's very true. So, yeah. uh, but... Um, you know, you, you get into a network and you have people that support you and, you know. Yeah, just get out there and meet people and yeah. and stick with it. Really yeah. make sure. And don't stay in the closet too long, you know, yeah. practicing. Yes, okay. You know, you have to get it. I mean, I, I did that for way too long. Oh, you know, really? Yeah, just more, you know, in in the basement right, right. practicing <laughs> right. And, well i'm not good enough mm -hmm. to get out there and do this or that you know you have to have that experience and get the experience to improve mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and just you know go to the jam sessions and sit in and fall on your face and and learn from that yeah you know you have to do it yeah. rather than you know stay home and practice until you think you're good enough to do that right right because you're never going to know until you get out there you don't know if you can ski or skate until right. you get up there and really you know wow that's great well thank you 
so much, Jay, yes. for uh, doing the show. This was fun. It was fun, right? Very much. Yeah, and I didn't do all the talking, right? 80%, but that's fine. <laughs> it's your show. <laughs> I didn't do 80%. <laughs> okay, but anyway, I got to have you back, especially when you uh, do the, the new album comes out. Right. Or CD now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, well, that wraps it up for us on Tales from the Jazz Side.